We're going to look at Scripture now together. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 14 this morning. So uh, I encourage you to open that up if you have your Bible with you, or you can look on the screens behind me. Uh, we, are, uh, we have two Sundays remaining in our Classics Reconsidered series. Today we're focusing on this story of Peter walking on the water, uh, and next week we'll conclude with the prodigal son. So look with me here. This starts Matthew 14, 22. And if you have a paper Bible, you know, if you're old school, you can see that this happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. We'll talk about that a little more uh, during the sermon, but the context matters. So all of this happens right after what was surely a very full, robust, draining, and exhausting experience for Jesus and for the disciples. So here we go, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed him, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! They said and cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It's God's word for us this morning from Matthew 14. We'll look a little more closely at that later. Now let's continue in the spirit of worship through prayer. God, thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself to us through Scripture. Lord, we're grateful for the ways that we're able to see how throughout history, God, you have been there for your people even before there were people at creation, Lord. You're working on our behalf. And Lord, in your earthly ministry that we can see when we look at the Gospels, we see ways that you were teaching about who you are, ways that you were healing and that you were redeeming in your earthly ministry before you went to the cross. Lord, thank you for these stories. Thank you for these testimonies. Lord, help us to see them as your teaching for us. Lord, help us to not engage them uh, as something we look at from a distance or something that could be useful. Lord, help us to engage with them in an active process, Lord, in a way that Uh, We trust and know that you will speak to us through Scripture. We thank you for the way that you do that, and Lord, it is an honor to receive it. So help us, Lord, as we look at your Scripture closely together here in worship, in Bible study, on Sunday mornings before worship, and throughout the week, Lord, through our study and through just our immersion in your Word. God, we thank you for the ways that you draw us together together to do that 
uh, not alone, but in community with others. So we give you thanks for this community you've called us to, whether you've uh, called someone here just for this Sunday while they're in town, or God, whether you've called someone to this community for decades. Lord, we are here united in our love for you to worship you this morning. And God, we thank you for drawing us together to do just that. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Stand with me now as we continue worshiping through song.
be seated. I'm not certain what language that we're going to speak in heaven, but I will be disappointed if that's not on the song list, some, some variation of it. Anybody going for a walk this afternoon? It's, uh, wow, it's going to be a really hot day. Um, I was thinking about walks in Old Town this week. One of, I would argue, one of the best things to do in Old Town is to walk the length of it on the waterfront. Has anybody ever done this? You can go, a lot of people, you can go from Jones Point Park all the way north. If you're really feeling it, you can walk all the way to D.C. if you want. It is a beautiful path. Uh, But it hasn't always been like that. When I moved to Old Town in 2016, you had to take so many detours inland and it was kind of frustrating because you'd be, you know, come up from Jones Point Park, beautiful walk, and then you'd have to go to Union Street for a little bit and then jut back out at the end of King Street and then go back in for a little bit. But now it is a great stretch. But the reason it took a while to get there is because plans and construction were getting sidetracked. If you guys have been here for a while, you might remember some of this. In 2018, they discovered an old ship uh, just several blocks to the east of us here. Uh, Those houses you can see in the background of that image, that's Union Street. Uh, So that's like a block south of Chadwick's. Does anybody remember when they found this boat? It was a big deal. It it made national news, and people, including me, would peek through the fences to try to figure out, you know, what was going on and, and see a little more closely about this boat that they'd found. And I learned recently this happened in 2015, as well. So people who've been here for a while, you're probably not surprised when you hear, oh, they found an 18th century ship uh, in fantastic condition. Uh, It seems to just happen here. But people were intrigued because the discovery of these old ships helped them picture what life looked like uh, with a little bit more imagination and detail, um, how people might have lived, what their mode of transportation would have looked like in the 18th century. Similar uh, you can see a picture of uh, the recreate to the 18th century. There was a drought in, uh, and dated to roughly the first, but because it's from that time, uh, and it's helpful to see uh, this recreation impressions are when you see that, when I see it. So we're going to look in the boat. So Jesus, he sends the scripture reading, it, faith is commendable, uh, but the folk wants to uh, Jesus into the boat together. So... This time, when the disciples are in this morning, 
a little earlier in the Gospel of Matthew during the storm. So again, picture that disciples wake him up because they're terrified. It's hard to imagine uh, Jesus sleeping on that boat. 14, where we are this morning, I think might be a ghost. I'm almost like a third of the channels when you browse fishermen uh, or perhaps an uh, We don't know what to do. Peter just steps in or infamously denies his associate course. But here, and as a result, at the core of the story, but it, I've tried to water. Also included, and Peter has this and sinks, which little more, faith 29. This is focus on sinking. And Jesus attributes this to Peter's doubt, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Does anyone empathize with Peter at this point in the story? I mean, there's some hands here. He did the hard thing, right? He did the hard thing, but he did it imperfectly. So we're with the disciples and Jesus here in Matthew 14, but I want to look back us up for a second and look big picture here. So 30,000 cruising altitude uh, assessment of what's happening here. We see Jesus has power not only over this situation, but Jesus has power over the sea, not just in Matthew 14, not just in Matthew 8, but throughout Scripture. And that backdrop is really important as we think about how Jesus intercedes here and how Jesus intercedes in our lives. We can see throughout Scripture our triune God in creation, creating the world and everything in it. And that entails this Jesus who's walking on water, this Jesus, God the Son, active at creation. John 1 teaches us that Jesus was there in the beginning. Hebrews 1 identifies Jesus, God the Son, as the heir of all things and the one through whom the universe was created. God created the world and everything in it. And when he saves Peter and when he calms the wind, Jesus knows precisely what he's doing. Peter's predicament was not remotely foreign to Jesus. And as created beings in God's created world, nothing that we find ourselves in, stumble into, or that falls in our lap is foreign to Jesus either. It should change our perspective. It should deepen our faith when we remember the reality that our Redeemer and our Rescuer created this world, created everything in it. And when he's there to rescue us, There's no surprises. So that's a 30,000-foot view. Back to our story, which truly is, I guess, a zero-foot view since we are at at sea level here. In our story, it was what that distracted Peter. It was the wind. The wind triggered him to lose his focus on Jesus, and then everything just goes downhill. So as, as readers of this story who want to hear what God has for us, we need to ask the question, what makes us lose our focus on Jesus? We can pinpoint it very specifically on Peter here in this passage. The scripture says, it was the wind. He saw the wind, he got scared, started sinking. Can you practically pinpoint what specifically unleashes your fears or brings your insecurities to the surface? Is it a certain person Is it getting stuck playing the comparison game, thinking about 
who has this or that in relation to you and what you maybe don't have? Or is it something that happened in your past that you still, despite all your best efforts, just can't shake? It's important to be able to identify that which pushes us off course. Because in the same way the wind set Peter off, the littlest things can derail us too. And Peter had to have been flying high. Like, imagine what's going on in his mind. I don't, I don't know if he was thinking, I'm, I'm really walking on water. Uh, but just the presence of the wind brought that fear in. He couldn't have known that this situation was going to happen, and he had to be ready. Again, I guess I'm here to rescue Peter, maybe a little more than I should. But we, as readers of this story, ready to apply it, once we know that which makes us lose our focus on Jesus, we can more purposefully and intently focus on Jesus when those distractions or when those temptations start to weigh on us and make us sink like we see Peter sinking in this passage. We can and should and we have commended Peter's faith. And we can also shake our heads at his error here. I think the, the, it's interesting to think what might this story have looked like if, I don't know, Peter walked all the way out to him and gave him a high five and a hug and uh, the storm was calmed and they triumphantly went back to the boat. But in the end, that's, that's not what happened. And as readers of this story, we can look in the mirror and see how often our lives following Jesus follows a similar pattern to how Peter's unfolds from the high of verse 29 to the low of verse 30, from walking on water to sinking. If we can relate to Peter, it's important to keep going in the passage past Peter's walking on water. We need to take note of how the story ends. They get back in the boat, and what do the disciples do when they get on the boat? They worship. I'm sure there was some celebration, some cheering, some sighs of relief, but we see those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This had to have been a terrifying moment for them, one where relief comes, and in it they declare really a massive and, and powerful statement, truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew has uh, 28 chapters. This is from Matthew 14. We're smack dab in the middle of Matthew here. And this is the first time that they acknowledge, they being the disciples, this is the first time the disciples acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And they've been with him. They've heard his teaching. They've seen him healing. They were just at the feeding of the 5,000 where he took some boy's lunch, some fish and loaves, and multiplied it to feed thousands. Yet it's here in the boat together in this moment of relief, where they say for the first time, truly, you are the Son of God. You're not just a great teacher. You're not just a good moral exemplar we've been following. You are God incarnate. And the direction of Matthew changes a bit with this reality as Jesus' mission is even clearer to his disciples. They're going to forget. They're going to stray off course. But there's so much less ambiguity after they're in the boat. This act of worship 
that we see them doing. This isn't something you do for anyone but, but God. They're not patting Jesus on the back. They're not saying, thanks, man, you build us out. They are worshiping God in their presence, in the boat with them. These disciples now have the eyes to see that God is right there with them. God has brought peace. God has turned a place of chaos into a place of order. God's turned a place of fear into a place of safety and a place of doubt into a place of confident worship. I feel like I say this every few sermons, but I just cannot wait to see the heavenly highlight reel, uh, which is what I call my hopeful experience of seeing what these stories looked like one day at some point. But I would love to see, I think even more so than Peter walking on water, what this worship looked like. This classic passage we're reconsidering this morning, it's about Peter walking on water, but it's not about Peter, really. It's about the power of Jesus to be the one walking on water first, to be the one who could empower Peter to walk, to be the one who could calm creation. It's a story about Jesus and a story that ends with this celebration and with this worship in the boat. We've considered the question together moments ago of of what makes you lose your focus on Jesus. That that question is essentially, what's your wind? You know, in the context of this passage, the wind distracted Peter. So what distracts us? What's the wind in our lives? The second of two takeaways, uh, let's transport our minds back to that boat we saw, is where is your boat? I don't mean an actual boat. I would love if I had an actual boat. But where is your boat? Where is that community you go back to and worship? Uh, so our, our takeaways this morning are a bit of a tongue twister. Where's your wind and where's your boat? Can you say that five times fast? You don't have to, but where's your wind and where's your boat? Uh, hopefully that uh, catchy nature of it will help that stick with you this week as you consider this passage a little more uh, thoroughly. So where is your boat? Where are you surrounded by people who have your back when fear sets in? Where are you surrounded by people that you know you can turn to to celebrate and worship together? This is massive. We need a boat. So much happened from the disciples. Uh, their, Their bond together and their discovery of Jesus alongside one another. Personally, I've had a a few iterations of this in my life. Um, The obvious answer is a a church community. And growing up, I had an an awesome church community. It was like a lifeboat to me. In college, I lived in a house that at its peak had uh, 13 guys living in it. And it was gross. And and that's, that's another story happy to tell you about it later, but in the boat sense, it was kind of like a rotting pontoon that just no one had had the heart to, to sink yet. But amidst that, between the 13 of us, we went to church together. We did not hesitate to talk about things that were probably deeper than we should have been considering at that stage in life. And, and it was a place where we were surrounded by love if we were crushed or if we were on top of the world. And it was also a place that was very dirty. 
but the rent was so low. Imagine everything divided by 13. Um, the price was right, and, and the community was priceless. And as I was thinking about that in light of this passage this week, I, I looked for some pictures because I thought it would be helpful to show one. Uh, but one of those 13 was a bodybuilder. Uh, and like bodybuilders, if you've ever lived with one, they often like to display what they're working on. So he didn't wear a shirt much. So I don't, didn't have a picture that was, was worship ready. But <laughs> we all need a boat. We all need community, right? This community that I'm describing, community like Peter could return to after he was sinking. Here at OTCC, the reality is there are a lot of places where you can get in the boat with people. It's Bible study classes, it's table groups, it's lay leadership teams, it's volunteer crews. In all of these places, if you journey alongside others consistently enough, you can't help but share one another's burdens and rejoice together when the season calls for it. And that is such a beautiful thing. So if you don't have a boat, if something doesn't come to mind for you, let's find one. Let's talk. After worship this week, I would love to meet for coffee or lunch because this, this will change your life. Last nugget from this uh, is when when Peter cries out to Jesus, Jesus responds with an invitation. It's simple. It's one word. It's a directive. Jesus says, come. Jesus tells Peter this in the boat. Jesus tells all of us, too, who want to be his followers, to take up our crosses and to follow him. And if you do that, there will be times when, like Peter, you're going to feel like you're sinking. If you really engage in the challenging work of being a follower of Jesus. But amidst that, Jesus calls all of us to find strength in him. Jesus calls all of us to follow him in faith and promises to shepherd us along that journey. And that journey is so much sweeter in a boat alongside others. God does not want us pursuing faithfulness solo. Like Peter, we're going to step out in faith, but we're going to step out from our boat and return to our boat. So this week, when you are sitting in traffic, when you're mowing the lawn, when you're doing dishes, those are three things I will very likely do this week. I encourage you, turn off the podcast, stop building your mental to-do list, and revisit the question of what's your wind and where's your boat? What is it that pushes you off track, and where's the place that you can go back to when that happens? We see how much of an impact it makes in Peter's life. Peter is going to go on to do massively important things for the sake of God's church, uh, and he's also going to continue to stumble and continue to rely on his crew. A great way to make progress on this second question is consistent worship. So in a moment, we're going to sing our, our closing song this morning. We see the disciples worshiping on the boat in this passage. Similarly here, as we wrap up this morning, we're in this figurative boat together, praising God week in and week out through our shared prayers, through our praises, through our singing, through our fellowship, through our exploration of scripture together in worship. 
And in the same way God was pleased of that worship of him on the boat, God is pleased when we recognize his presence amongst us, acknowledge it, and praise him for it. So let's do just that as we conclude this morning. I invite you to stand with me as we close in song.